0: Hello and welcome to Coffee with Conservationists, a podcast where I sit down with a wide range of incredible people who dedicate their lives to researching, documenting and protecting the natural world. I talk to them about their work in wildlife conservation, human and wildlife coexistence, community projects and worldwide environmental issues. You can find out all about the reasoning behind the Coffee Connection and plenty of other interesting content. On my instagram at coffee with conservationists for today's coffee feature we've got girls who grind coffee a brilliant company working out of the southwest of england listen to the end to find out who they are and why you should be buying their coffee in this episode i talk to charlotte foote charlotte is a licensed bird ringer a citizen scientist and a fellow nature nerd and student of marine and natural history photography at Falmouth University. We spoke about the importance of bird ringing, her new Starling RAS project, Schedule 1 licensing and how it applies to wildlife photography, and ways to make the outdoors and birding groups more accessible to all. Hi Charlotte, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me again after the bit of the hiccup <laughs> with the wind the other day. Nurse. Um As I said with a, another recent episode that I did, um, it's really, after after almost a year of the ups and downs of remote podcasting. It's really refreshing to actually see you um, two metres away and actually talk to you in person. We'll start it off by getting to know you. Could you tell us a bit about yourself and where your interest in nature and conservation first started?
1: So I'm 20 years old and I've pretty much been into birds since I can remember. Um, When I was little, I used to point out birds to my mum and I'd name them after reading books about them and she wouldn't believe that... I knew the real names to things like tree coopers. She thought I was making them up until she started looking them up herself. And yeah, I've always been um, going to nature reserves, looking at bird hides, watching the birds in the garden. And then um, in 2017, I started bird ringing, which was really amazing because it just meant that I could get that much closer to the birds that I'd been seeing in the hides.
0: Uh, We can actually... I think it will pick up on the audio, but there's a there's a bird singing really loudly there. Um, mm-hmm. Quick spot test. What is it?
1: Yeah, we've got a robin. I can actually see him. He's sat on a rock and he's singing away.
0: <laughs> and uh, that will be why it's so close so we can pick <laughs> it up. Uh, yeah, the robins in the walled garden where we are are quite uh, tame. Mm-hmm. They've come right up to me before and they're always a joy to see. Um, so you're a licensed bird ringer. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's very difficult well, it's impossible to get a bird ringing licence under COVID restrictions because you need groups, uh, yep. large groups of people. Um, but people who want to do it, maybe if we're lucky at the end of this year or 2022, um, the process of getting your licence with BTO, the British Trust of Ornithology, um, could you give us kind of a brief rundown of how you got your licence and went about doing it?
1: So... I got my license by... Um, I went to a ringing demonstration um, back when we were allowed to actually see people face-to-face <laughs> and meet random strangers. Um, what the time? And so I, I really enjoyed it and thought, oh, this is something I really want to get into and, yeah, ha- learn how to do. So I went onto the BTO website, which is really easy to find, Um and went on to the ringing pages there I could um there is a page normally but I don't think it's open at the moment because of the restrictions where you can find yourself a trainer locally and figure out where you can learn to ring
0: wait I'm just gonna wait for the car to give (laughs) us hopefully we don't get locked in (laughs) it's still a while till sundown so it should be fine um so you Uh, told me last time we spoke about the different types of permits you can get for bird ringing or the different transitional periods you go through could you kind of elaborate on what you mean when you talk about like C or T permits?
1: So you start off on a T permit which allows you to train under a trainer someone who holds an S permit and basically you'll be having loads of practice it typically takes about two years for you to advance to a C permit which um, allows you to ring Um, by yourself you can get certain endorsements and um, species restrictions so that you'd be allowed to do different things depending what you've been practicing with your trainer and after that you can progress to an A which would obviously allow you to progress to an S where you can ring completely independently um, and be a trainer yourself.
0: And obviously bird ringing and monitoring and the work you do is very important part of citizen science. Now, it's been almost a year since I last discussed or dedicated an entire episode to citizen science, and that was my first ever guest. Uh, Needless to say, it's been one hell of a year, and a lot of people may not start podcast listening with episode one. So, could you uh, kind of talk about what citizen science means to you?
1: So, to me, citizen science is just an excellent way for anyone to get involved in um, in science to help nature. It doesn't matter how much experience you have, most... Um, projects will help you learn and um, there are other ways you can get involved with the bto apart from bird ringing such as um, counting the birds in your local area garden bird counts in particular can be a really easy way to get involved and it's just a really good way to collect data from areas that perhaps scientists usually wouldn't and get a wider database
0: and um, why is the work you do with bird ringing sort of such an important part of that
1: so bird ringing allows us to figure out so many things about birds that you just otherwise wouldn't know so for example before I started ringing birds um, I would have flocks of long-tailed tits come into my garden and I would assume oh they're the same flock coming through but when I started to ring them I learned that they were actually different flocks which was showing that they were moving and there are so many examples of this Um, you get a good idea of species distribution and decline we can see why they're declining um, by looking at trends over the years And there are lots of other projects that specialise on certain species and areas.
0: Yeah, obviously it is a really important part of British conservation and worldwide conservation, Um, especially in a country that's so nature depleted. Uh, We've really got to look after our species and do a lot of conservation work here. Um, I know you said last time that you couldn't remember and couldn't even begin to remember how many birds you've, ringed no is the term <laughs> um but do you kind of do you have a favorite
1: my favorite bird is definitely the starling um i've sort of started them ever since i have my c permit i practiced a few with my trainer before i got my c and i've just spent my life watching them on the feeders so to actually get them in the hand and see the iridescent plumage was absolutely fascinating and they're a bird that is red listed so it was really good to start ringing them and start contributing to data that will hopefully help them. Yeah, help the numbers.
0: Fantastic, and yeah, starlings are such a beautiful bird, especially close mm-hmm. up. They are. um We were just talking before we started recording about how awesome their song is and how they imitate a lot of human-made noise. uh Referees whistle, big one. Uh, a starling managed to successfully stop a football game, uh, which I always <laughs> will find hilarious. That will always be my favourite, one of my favourite birding uh, stories. Um, talking about starlings um, there's something I've heard you talk about before which is the starling rats mm-hmm. could you kind of give us a breakdown of what this is and why you're so keen to be involved
1: so rat studies are re-trapping adult for survival studies and they are looking they can be looking at any species there are many going across the UK and it's basically looking to see how adult survival is increasing or decreasing over the years to see how well the birds are living especially through the um, summer months when they're breeding um so I've decided to start one on my starlings because I was catching so many of them and yeah it'll be really interesting to see how yeah how their survival rate is doing
0: yeah and it's obviously as you said really important for a red listed species to do any to get involved with as many projects as possible to try and keep tabs on them and make sure they're doing okay um, now you're a fellow student of Marine and Natural History Photography, the course that I'm doing at Falmouth. Um, sorry, lots of notifications popping <laughs> up there for some reason. Um, and you're a wildlife photographer. And many of our peers as wildlife photographers, something this, that they may not know is there's a special license, the Schedule 1 license under the Wildlife and Conservation Act 1981, that governs how we can take photos of certain protected species of bird. Um, can you explain kind of what it means for bird photographers and why adhering to the Schedule 1 licensing is so important?
1: So the Schedule 1 protects a lot of breeding birds primarily and especially focusing on those red-listed species that are prone to disruption and really need extra protection so the schedule one means that you shouldn't approach or disturb any breeding bird especially its nest and it just means that you should keep your distance if you if you want to photograph them photograph them well away from the nest
0: yeah definitely an important one uh i think barn owls are such an yeah. amazing species and charismatic species and they're one of the ones that get photographed most often mm-hmm. uh, but they're also it's kind of one of the most vulnerable one of most vulnerable and definitely one of the main ones that people should be aware of that if you photograph them near the nest, you are breaking mm-hmm. the law absolutely um, and just be careful of what you're doing and making sure you're not causing distress and I think that's a, a definitely a common just a very important absolutely I think it applies to, to every species to, yeah to every species uh, whether you're a photographer or a filmmaker or just anyone working with animals um, just have the put the animal welfare before anything else absolutely uh, even if it means that not getting the story you may want mm-hmm. um, now this is a bit more of a, a tough question but I think in light of uh, the current climate on in social issues I think it's an important one to talk about um, spending time in nature should be fun it should be stress-free should be kind of harmonious and therapeutic and there's a lot of benefits to it but here in the UK, it can be quite dangerous. I think there's a lot of privately owned land where your the uh, right to move on that land is currently just a, a civil offence trespass, but it it could be up to criminal maybe soon. Um, we also have a lot of of birders and people in the birding community who can be quite there's a quite a bit of snobbery around. They can be quite demeaning if they think you're you know less skilled than they are. And unfortunately, there is a lot of um, kind of prejudice and oppression happens in the outdoor community. Uh, a lot, a lot of the time, that's towards groups, marginalised groups, um, like people of colour. And also, there's a lot of women uh, scientists, naturalists, members of the birding community who don't feel safe alone in the outdoors. And I think that's, you know, really disgusting that people are made to feel like that because nature should be a human right access Absolutely. to nature should be a human right um in the large amount of time that you've spent outside is and you know in this these communities is there anything that you have you ever felt uncomfortable or unsafe among these communities
1: so in terms of private land i always check my roots um try and figure out where the, where the private land starts and where it stops if i'm not sure i try my best just not to enter an area go back find another route um i think it's quite a shame that a lot of these areas are cut off from from us especially as um as birders if you see a bird fly into a field that you can't access it can be a bit frustrating but ultimately you need to make sure that your your welfare is put first um i've often sort of um find that as a woman it's a case of whenever you go birding a lot of people won't talk to you um (laughs) they will try to avoid you um if they do approach you they'll just sort of ask oh um what have you seen have you seen anything interesting what are you photographing that sort of thing um but there have been quite a lot of times where i'll be out especially if i'm on my own in a woodland or um just a bit of a remote area that i can feel really quite uncomfortable because you don't know if that what's going to happen to you i always tell friends where i am um make sure that they know what's happening i'll contact them every so often to make sure they know that i'm okay but yeah i think if if you're a man you're out bird watching or just see someone bird watching just keep keep your space make sure you know that um, they know you're there because it can be quite a shock if you're watching a bird intently and they um, suddenly seem to appear out of nowhere
0: yeah yeah definitely i think it's um thank you for sharing because i think it's such an important conversation to have this episode won't be released for a, a few weeks, but I think the events of this week, this past week, uh, with the tragic death of Sarah Everett and the, the global movement that that seems to have sparked, and yeah, just these, these conversations have always been happening, but I think they're much more in the mainstream now, and Absolutely. I think those events will definitely still be fresh in a lot of people's minds for a long time what do you think personally that we can all do not just uh, as especially in the birding community and in the wildlife community to make the outdoors more accessible and make sure that everyone feels like they can access that that human right to be in nature Mm
1: -hmm. so i definitely think that once covid is hopefully finished um more nature watch groups would be an amazing thing for so many communities to actually go out in a large group whether it's people with some experience or no experience at all so that you have that security you have that sort of like you know herd instinct where you know that you're going to be feel a little bit safer and yeah just making sure that someone knows where you are the whole time it's just such such an important thing to do
0: yeah yeah definitely it's uh it's horrible Mm -hmm. that you that that's always in your mind and that has to be in in your mind in in this society um to make sort of personal safety a primary thought that's always there when you're out alone uh, in nature because it should be an entirely safe space yeah um (laughs) and I think yeah as I said thank you for sharing because these conversations just should be had whenever we can. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of education and kind of continuing the theme of of sharing issues I guess um, this is a new part of the podcast but I think something that I've learned a lot from is talking about books and reading and getting more people reading is an important thing in the wildlife community there's a lot of educational content is in amazing books it's pretty impossible as a question but if you had to pick one nature themed wildlife book to recommend to my listeners what would it be and why
1: i would say bearded tit is a very good place to start if you're if you're wanting to find out more about birds it's hilarious and it's informative so that's always a good one and always have a Collins bird guide with you
0: <laughs> yeah definitely agree with that and uh, i will add to that because it's a birding book um, bird watching With Your Eyes Closed yes. by Simon Barnes, that's a, that's a really great one for Birdsong, although it's been a long time since I've read it and as you know from going on our birding walks I am still rubbish with, with song <laughs> ID. So before we finish we're just going to do a little quick fire round, this is technically only the third time I've done it in person so Uh, don't worry if you if you take a while to answer I'm going to try not to edit this too much after um, because it it should be kind of your (laughs) real responses so first off what's your favorite animal
1: animal I thought you said mammal yesterday so I said red squirrel Um, (laughs) but animal would be styling mammal red squirrel
0: where is a place you like to go and connect with nature kind of the one place you feel most out most at home outdoors
1: Um, my local nature reserve Tesswood Lakes back home somewhere i always used to go when i was little and still go whenever i can now
0: do you have a conservation hero
1: chris backham he speaks his mind and yeah he's amazing
0: yeah i definitely agree and last off how do you take your coffee not at all do you take any sort of hot drink
1: uh, sometimes hot chocolate or soup <laughs> if you can count that i think
0: you should actually hot chocolate i'm not sure soup will make the cat quite <laughs> um, well thank you so much for taking up your time it's been really great to learn and get an insight and hopefully some people in the future will listen and want to give up their time to become a licensed bird ringer and help the wider citizen science effort so yeah really useful topics and really important conversations as well so thanks Charlotte
1: awesome thank you
0: thanks again to Charlotte for taking the time to speak to me all the links to her social media will be linked in the episode description. So, who are Girls Who Grind Coffee and why am I featuring them? Girls Who Grind are an all female specialty coffee roastery in the southwest of England. They source their coffee specifically from women producers, actively seeking coffee that creates positive change by empowering women. They source their coffee directly and choose what to buy, not just through taste, but also through looking at the whole picture of how their suppliers work and run their farms. You can find out more about the details of this particular coffee, which comes from Nicaragua, through the link in the episode description. If you feel like you've learnt anything of value from the podcast, please consider supporting me through a one-off donation on Ko-fi. This means I can buy ethically sourced coffee, expand my storytelling toolkit, and support local and indigenous coffee growing companies and any contributors to the podcast. Coffee with Conservationists is now available on Spotify, Anchor, Google and Apple Podcasts, and a few more places. As ever, thank you all so much for listening. I've been your host, George Steven Jones, and this is Coffee with Conservationists.